the island of Nantucket is Beer Talk. And now, the host of Beer the Scribner of Society, the philosopher of the folk song, Herman Melville! Welcome to Beer Talk, the show that gets the most interesting men and occasionally women with beards in the world to talk about interesting stuff. I'm your host, Harold Melville. Thank you. Thank you. How's everybody doing tonight? Excellent, excellent. Enjoying the pre-Civil War calm. Anyway, hey, I've got a good one for you tonight. What do you call a burrito from one of those Mexican gentlemen down by the pier? Wait for it. A little more. Quick Quag's Coffin. Quick Quag's Coffin. Sorry about that. I know I'll get that joke right eventually. I'm sure by now you know to expect more from my guests than from me. Okay, let's get right to it. My guest tonight is a well-known scientist, naturalist, and author. He's a fellow of the Royal Society, and he's here to talk about his new book on the origin of the species all the way from down in Kent. Please welcome Mr. Charles Darwin. Hey, hello. Good to see you. Great beard. Your very popular first book, Voyage of the Beagle, or Journal of Researches, whatever it was called, was basically a travel book, and everybody loved it. Lots of natives and adventures, lassos and bolas, gauchos and all that. A real page turner. This one... On the origin of the species by means of natural selection. Wait, there's more. Or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Wow. I don't know if I understand the title, let alone the book. But not quite as much swashbuckling in this one. <laughs> what were you thinking with this book? Well, um, on board HMS Beagle, as naturalist, I was much struck with certain facts in the distribution of the inhabitants of South America, and in the geological relations of the present to the past inhabitants of that continent. These facts seem to me to throw some light on the origin of species, that mystery of mysteries, as it has been called by one of our greatest philosophers. On my return home, it occurred to me that something might be made out on this question by patiently accumulating and reflecting on all sorts of facts which could possibly have any bearing on it. I was joking with you there at the start. There really is a lot of great stuff in this one, but it is pretty straight-ahead science this time. You said patiently accumulating, but that's a bit of an understatement. You've been working on this thing forever, almost 20 years. 
what was so difficult with this book? You know, in considering the origin of species, it is quite conceivable that a naturalist, reflecting on the mutual affinities of organic beings, on their embryological relations, their geographical distribution, geological succession, and other such facts, might come to the conclusion that each species had not been independently created, but had descended like varieties from other species. Nevertheless, such a conclusion, even if well-founded, would be unsatisfactory, until it could be shown how the innumerable species inhabiting this world have been modified, so as to acquire that perfection of structure and co-adaptation which most justly excites our admiration. Right. It is therefore of the highest importance to gain a clear insight into the means of modification and co-adaptation. At the commencement of my observations, it seemed to me probable that a careful study of domesticated animals and of cultivated plants would offer the best chance of making out on this obscure problem. Nor have I been disappointed in this and in all other perplexing cases. I have invariably found that our knowledge, imperfect though it be, of variation under domestication, afforded the best and safest clue. So, I want to talk a little bit about the beetle and some other stuff, too. What's the bottom line with this new book, The Origin? Although much remains obscure and will long remain obscure, I can entertain no doubt after the most deliberate study and dispassionate judgment of which I am capable, that the view which most naturalists entertain, which I formerly entertained, namely that each species has been independently created, is erroneous. I am fully convinced that species are not immutable, but that those belonging to what are called the same genera are lineal descendants of some other and generally extinct species in the same manner as the acknowledged varieties of any one species are the descendants of that species. Furthermore, I am convinced that natural selection has been the main but not exclusive means of modification. Wow! So there you go. Species change over time. Who knew? We are going to take a break and give you a little time to digest all that, and then we'll talk some more with Charles Darwin.
Okay, welcome back to Beer Talk. I'm Herman Melville, and we have Mr. Charles Darwin with us today, and we're talking about his new book, Origin of the Species. Now, before you even went on the Beagle trip, you went to Edinburgh, and then King's College in Cambridge, right? Studied medicine and divinity, was it? That's right, Holmes. After having spent two sessions in Edinburgh, my father perceived, or he heard from my sisters, that I did not like the thought of being a physician, so he proposed that I should become a clergyman. He was very properly vehement against my turning into an idle sporting man, which then seemed my probable destination. I asked for some time to consider, as from what little I had heard or thought on the subject, I had scruples about declaring my belief in all the dogmas of the Church of England, though otherwise I liked the thought of being a country clergyman. Incredible. I know, considering how fiercely I have been attacked by the Orthodox, it seems ludicrous that I once intended to be a clergyman. Agreed. But no pursuit at Cambridge was followed with nearly so much eagerness or gave me so much pleasure as collecting beetles. It was the mere passion for collecting, for I did not dissect them and rarely compared their external characters with published descriptions, but I got them named anyhow. I will give a proof of my zeal. One day... On tearing off some old bark, I saw two rare beetles and seized one in each hand. Then I saw a third and new kind, which I could not bear to lose, so that I popped the one which I held in my right hand into my mouth. <laughs> Alas, it ejected some intensely acrid fluid, which burnt my tongue, so that I was forced to spit the beetle out, which was lost, as was the third one. Mmm, that's great, just great. We've been talking with Charles Dow, an author of The Voyage of the Beetle and other great books about his newest one on the origin of the species. It's great, and it's on the bookshelves now. Very interesting stuff. Thanks very much for coming on, Mr. Charles Darwin. Thanks, sir, and thanks, everyone. Okay, that was great. We'll take a short break and be right back with a little drama for you guys. And now, from the pages of Moby Dick, The Spouter Inn. Call me Ishmael. I sought the landlord, and telling him I desired to be accommodated with a room, received for answer that his house was full, not a bed unoccupied. But a vast, 
against no objections to sharing a harpooner's blanket, Taffy. I suppose you're a-going a whaling, so you'd better get used to that sort of thing. I told him that I never liked to sleep too in a bed, that if I should ever do so, it would depend upon who the harpooner might be, and that if he, the landlord, really had no other place for me, and the harpooner was not decidedly objectionable, why, rather than wander further about a strange town on so bitter a night, I would put up with the half of any decent man's blanket. Oh, I thought so. All right, take a seat. Supper? You want supper? My supper be ready directly. The fare was of the most substantial kind. Not only meat and potatoes, but dumplings. Good heavens, dumplings for supper. One young fellow in a green box coat addressed himself to these dumplings in a most direful manner. My boy, you'll have the nightmare to a dead certainty. That ain't a harpooner, is it? Oh, no. The harpooner is a dark-complexioned chap. He never eats dumplings, he don't. He eats nothing but steaks. And he likes them rare. The devil he does. Where is that harpooner? Is he here? Oh, he'll be here afore long. I could not help it, but I began to feel suspicious of this dark-complexioned harpooner. At any rate, I made up my mind that if it so turned out that we should sleep together, he must undress and get into bed before I did. Landlord, what sort of a chap is he? Does he always keep such late hours? Nope. Generally, he's an early bird. Early to bed and early to rise. Yes, he's the bird what catches the worm. But tonight he went out to paddling, you see, and I don't see what on earth keeps him so late unless maybe he can't sell his head. Can't sell his head? What sort of a bamboozingly story is this you are telling me? Do you pretend to say, landlord, that this harpooner is actually engaged this blessed Saturday night, or rather Sunday morning, in peddling his head around this town? That's precisely it, and I told him he couldn't sell it here. The market's all the stock. With what? With heads, to be sure. Ain't there too many heads in the world? I tell you what it is, landlord, you'd better stop spinning that yarn to me. I'm not green. Maybe not. But I'd rather guess you'll be done brown if that air harpooner hears you're a slander in his head. I'll break it for him. It's broke already. Broke? Broke, do you mean? Certain. And that's the very reason he can't sell it, I guess. Landlord, landlord, stop whittling. You and I must understand one another, and that too without delay. I come to your house and want a bed. You tell me you can only give me half a one, that the other half belongs to a certain harpooner. And about this harpooner whom I have not yet seen, you persist in telling me the most mystifying and exasperating stories, trying to beget in me an uncomfortable feeling towards the man who you design for my bedfellow, a sort of connection, landlord, which is an intimate and confidential one in the highest degree. 
I now demand of you to speak out and tell me who and what this harpooner is, and whether I shall be in all respects safe to spend the night with him. And in the first place, you'll be so good as to unsay that story about selling his head, which, if true, I take to be good evidence that this harpooner is stark mad, and I've no idea of sleeping with a madman, and you, sir, you, I mean landlord, you, sir, by trying to induce me to do so knowingly, would thereby render yourself liable to a criminal prosecution. Well, that's a pretty long sermon for a chap that likes to rip a little now and then. But be easy, be easy. This here harpooner I've been telling you of has just arrived from the South Seas, where he brought up a lot of bald New Zealand heads. Great carriers, you know, and he sold all of them but one, and that one he's trying to sell tonight, because tomorrow's Sunday, and it would not do to be selling human heads about the streets when folks is going to churches. He wanted to last Sunday, but I stopped him just as he was going out the door with four heads strung on a string for all the earth like a string of onions. Depend on it, landlord, that harpoon is a dangerous man. He pays regular. But come, it's getting dreadful late. You'd better be turning flukes. It's a nice bed. everybody. I guess we have to wait until next week to meet that harpoon. Thanks for coming out, everyone. My sincere thanks to Charles Darwin. Thanks for watching, and see you next week.